the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to this week's edition of Vatican Insider. Now, before I look at the news highlights, let me tell you about the special I've prepared for the interview segment. As you may be aware, there has been much consternation in Catholic circles about Pope Francis's recent nomination of a pro-abortion member to the Pontifical Academy for Life. In view of that controversy, I've prepared a special on this nomination and related issues. I look at how the Academy has changed from its original makeup and focus under its founder, Pope St. John Paul, when it was retooled by Pope Francis and how Pope Francis also reinstituted his predecessor's John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family, to the point where it's unrecognizable for original members. I ask, why would a pope appoint as an academician someone who is pro-abortion? Abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. The academy is for life. Now people are asking, is it truly the Pontifical Academy for Life? Stay tuned right after the news and Q&A for this important story. And now we'll look at the top stories of the week. Sunday, October 23rd. After reciting the Marian Prayer at the Angelus, Pope Francis registered for World Youth Day that will take place in Lisbon, Portugal in August 2023. At his study window, he was assisted by Portuguese university students holding a tablet. He said that after a long period, especially due to the pandemic, we will rediscover the joy of fraternal embrace between peoples and between generations, which we need so much. At the Angelus, he also called on political leaders to put an end to the suffering of the defenseless population in Ethiopia and to find equitable solutions for a lasting peace throughout the country. And lastly, before wishing the faithful in St. Peter's Square a buon appetito, Francis noted that Sunday was World Mission Day, and he encouraged people to support missionaries with prayer and concrete solidarity. He also invited prayers for peace in Ukraine. Monday, October 24th, Pope Francis received President Emmanuel Macron of France for the third time, and he also welcomed the President of Cyprus, Nikos Anastasiades. Also Monday, Addressing the Pontifical John Paul II Theological Institute for Marriage and Family Sciences, Pope Francis highlighted the need for the Church, as well as the State, to listen and support families in these turbulent times, reminding everyone the family is the very fabric of society, and he warned against ideological approaches. The Institute was established in 2017 with the motu proprio Summa Familiae Cura, succeeding in replacing the Pontifical Institute John Paul II for Studies on Marriage and the Family, created in 1981 by Pope St. John Paul II, on the heels of the 1980 Synod of Bishops on the Family. Pope Francis recalled that with his reform, he intended, in continuity with St. John Paul's legacy, to give new vigor and a broader scope to the Institute in light of the new challenges facing the family in the third millennium. He said the mission of the Church urgently demands an integration of the theology of the conjugal bond with a more concrete theology of the condition of the family. 
We are not prophets of misfortune, but of hope, and we will never lose sight of the consoling, sometimes touching signs of the capacity that family ties continue to show, benefiting the community of faith, civil society, and human existence. Also Monday, in the Paul VI Hall, in a dialogue with seminarians and priests studying in Rome, Pope Francis addressed numerous topics, including spiritual direction, the concreteness of mercy, and how priests are called to be close to their people. To those who asked him how to live the priesthood without losing that, quote, smell of the sheep that must be proper to the priestly ministry, Pope Francis replied that even if one is engaged in studies or in curial work, it's important to maintain contact with the people, with God's faithful people, because there's the anointing of God's people. They are the sheep. On the dialogue between science and faith, Francis invited priests to be open to the questions of scholars and the anxieties of people, and to always maintain a positive, open, and humble attitude. To be humble, to have faith, does not mean having the answer to everything. Tuesday, October 25th, in late afternoon, at the closing ceremony of the Sant'Egidio Community's annual Spirit of Assisi Prayer for Peace at the Colosseum, Pope Francis called for nations to defuse conflicts with the weapon of dialogue. In the presence of other religious leaders, he said religions cannot be used for war. Only peace is holy, and no one is to use the name of God to bless terror and violence. If you see wars around you, do not resign yourselves. People desire peace. Francis recalled that he and the religious leaders declared the same words a year ago in the same place. And he said, the appeal we launched is all the more timely today. We must strive to do ever better each day. Let us never grow resigned to war. Let us cultivate seeds of reconciliation. Today, let us raise to heaven our plea for peace. The Tuesday gathering marked the 36th edition of the meetings initiated in the wake of the historic World Day of Interreligious Prayer for Peace of October 27, 1986, called for by Pope St. John Paul. Wednesday, October 26th, at the general audience in a warm and sunny St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on discernment, looking at what spiritual masters call desolation, those moments when we experience interior darkness, unrest, and distance from God and from the consolations of faith. For our spiritual growth, he said, it's important to confront these dark nights of the soul and to discern what the Lord wishes to tell us through them. At times, desolation can be a summons to acknowledge our sinfulness and to embrace God's offer of love and forgiveness. At other times, the experience of desolation can be a temptation to grow slack in prayer and in the discipline of the Christian life. We are urged by great spiritual teachers, said the Pope, not to yield to this temptation, but to persevere, confident that by this testing, the Lord will guide us to a fuller understanding of his gracious plan for our lives and a deeper union with him in faith, hope, and love. Pope Francis also made an appeal. We look on in horror, he said, as events continue to stain the Democratic Republic of the Congo with blood. I strongly deplore the unacceptable assault that has taken place in recent days, where defenseless people, including a religious woman engaged in health care, were killed. 
Let us pray for the victims and their families, as well as for the Christian community and the inhabitants of that region who have been exhausted by violence for too long. Thursday, October 27th. Receiving the priests and men and women religious of Madagascar residing in Rome, Pope Francis expressed his joy at the encounter, calling it an opportunity to get to know the religious better and to understand more clearly their expectations and hopes as consecrated persons in mission in Rome. Your presence today, while your bishops are on ad limina visit, is an expression of your communion of prayer with the spiritual journey they are making at the tombs of the Apostles Peter and Paul. Earlier that morning, in fact, Pope Francis had received the bishops of Madagascar on their ad limina visit to Rome. He had visited Madagascar in September 2019 during his apostolic visit there, as well as to Mauritius and Mozambique. Friday, October 28th. The Pope received the bishops of Brazil on their ad limina visit, as well as Cardinal Farrell, Prefect of the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. There was also a briefing in the press office for Pope Francis's apostolic trip to Bahrain, November 3rd to the 6th. Well, those are the news highlights. Now, after the Q&A, stay tuned for my special on the Pontifical Academy for Life. Is it still pro-life? Welcome to this week's Q&A. The question is, what are ex votos, or votive offerings? Our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Encyclopedia says, quote, Votive offerings, from the Latin votum, means a wish or a vow, and these are free will offerings of money or goods, presented as an expression of piety and devotion in light of a particular request or need. On occasion, in building or renovating a church, ex votos were major artworks, artifacts, or sacred vessels given to signify the need of the donor. Votive offerings are also the payments we make when we light a candle in a church to express a prayer intention. You've probably seen many ex votos without knowing what they were. You'll find them more often in a shrine, but there may be some in your home parish. Usually made in silver, they come in a wide variety of shapes, most frequently a heart with a flame, and three letters, PGR, per grazie ricevute, for favors received. These votive offerings frequently have something to do with what is considered to be a healing or a cure, a crutch, a piece of clothing from the person, baby clothes are numerous, a medical instrument, etc., Often the shape refers to a part of the body that the faithful consider to have had a miraculous cure, a silver ex voto in the shape, for example, of a leg, an arm, a head. An ex voto can also be a letter or some other form of missive. You can even see on occasion sports uniforms, parts of bikes or cars, tennis rackets, deflated soccer balls, some object associated with the patient's personal life. There is no end to the imagination when it comes to votive offerings. And if you're ever in Italy, go to the shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii, and you will see ex votos like no others, in size, shape, and quantity. Also, by the way, a beautiful place to visit and attend Mass. It took a while to build, but the shrine was dedicated in 1891. EWTN, communicating the faith 
My wife is Catholic, my mother's Catholic, and I went to a weekend retreat to get married in the church. And I do think confused about what steps you need to take to be baptized, because I'm willing to do that. My wife does go to church regularly, and I need to. Sure, yeah, I can help you. The easiest thing to do is to call the parish and tell them you'd like to become Catholic and you'd like to be baptized. They'll fix you up from there. If you have a few minutes a day, you can become an EWTN media missionary in your parish, in your community, or through prayer. Be a part of Mother Angelica's mission. Place your gifts and strengths in service to Christ and His Church by volunteering your time and sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. He was a pope a saint, and a doctor of the Church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Pope St. Gregory I the Great is one of only four popes honored as the Great. Among his many achievements was sending missionaries across Northern Europe, especially St. Augustine of Canterbury, who brought Christ to the people of England. In a pun, Pope Gregory called the English people angels. He died in 604. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to a special I prepared this week, and if I have to give it a title, it would be Whither Thou Goest, Academy for Life. One of Pope Francis's October appointments as a new member of the Pontifical Academy for Life has caused quite a commotion among Catholic faithful and hierarchy, and much has been written and discussed in the media in recent days. The new member is Mariana Mazzacuto, an economist and Italian academic with dual U.S.-Italian citizenship who's a professor of economics of innovation and public value at University College in London. She's also pro-abortion. Why would a pope appoint as an academician someone who is pro-abortion? Abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. The academy is for life. Now, people are asking, is it truly the Pontifical Academy for Life? As its current website says, appointment as a member of the Academy requires proven willingness to work collaboratively with the Academy in a spirit of service and solely for the accomplishment of its specific responsibilities. There may be up to 70 ordinary members at any one time. They are appointed for a term of five years by the Holy Father after hearing the opinion of the Governing Council and on the basis of their academic qualifications, proven professional integrity, professional expertise, and faithful service in the defense and promotion of the right to life of every human person. What's not clear about that last part? Faithful service in the defense and promotion of the right to life of every human person. Questions have risen about the Academy since Pope Francis retooled it in 2016, just as questions arose a year later when he reinstituted the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family, leaving it almost unrecognizable to original members of the Institute. At this point, we have to go back a bit in time and look at the institution of the Academy for Life by Pope St. John Paul on February 11, 1994, with the motu proprio Vitae Mysterium. He wrote, The Institute has the specific task to study and provide information and training about the principal problems of law and biomedicine pertaining to the promotion and protection of life. 
especially in the direct relationship they have with Christian morality and the directives of the Church's magisterium. The motu proprio stated in Article 2, to reach its ends, the Academy will do the following. In Section D, it says, the Academy will promote coordination among all those who, beyond religious affiliation, defend life according to the teaching of the Church and are willing to make a written declaration proposed by the Academy itself. Article 3 says, quote, the Academy is made up of 70 members, of whom 10 are nominated only per durante munere, being chosen on the basis of their office. They are appointed by the Holy Father on the basis of their professional seriousness, their competence, and their unequivocal service to the right to life of every human person. I repeat, they are chosen for their unequivocal service to the right to life of every human person. In October 2016, Pope Francis basically raised the previous papal institute to the ground, changing its structure, appointing all new membership, and rewriting its statutes. He left it without members until new ones were finally appointed in 2017. He named Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia to head the Pontifical Academy for Life. He was previously president of the Pontifical Council for the Family that the Pope merged with other councils into the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. The new statutes took effect in 2017. They dropped the statement that Academy members had been required to sign, promising to defend life in accordance with Church teaching. The statutes did, however, require members to, quote, promote and defend the principles regarding the value of life and the dignity of the human person interpreted in conformity with the magisterium of the Church, end quote. Several of the new members appointed in 2017 caused quite a commotion. One in particular, Nigel Bigar, an Anglican theologian, had previously supported legalized abortion up to 18 weeks and expressed qualified support for euthanasia. Interestingly enough, the new statutes used the word gender for the first time and expanded the academy mandate to include human ecology. Article 3 says, the Academy has a task of a prevalently scientific nature directed towards the promotion and defense of human life. See Vitae Mysterium 4. In particular, it studies the various aspects that relate to the care of the dignity of the human person at the different stages of existence. Mutual respect between genders and generations, the defense of the dignity of each single human being, the promotion of equality of human life that integrates material and spiritual value with a view to an authentic human ecology, which may help to recover the original balance of creation between the human person and the entire universe. This is from the Papal Chirograph on August 15, 2016. Now, Catholic News Agency reported on October 29th that a leading Catholic physician voiced harsh criticism of the continued appointment of, quote, pro-abortion academics, advocates of euthanasia to some degree, or detractors of humanae vitae as members of the Pontifical Academy for Life, lamenting that, quote, someone convinced the Holy Father of it. In an article entitled Academy for Life, I Can't Remain Silent Anymore, published October 19th, Spanish Dr. Jose Maria Simón Castelví, President Emeritus of the International Federation of Catholic Medical Associations, warned that these appointments are, quote, 
just the opposite of what John Paul II, who founded the Pontifical Academy for Life in 1994, wanted. Furthermore, he warned, the appointments go against what is reasonable for the good of the Pilgrim Church on Earth. And worthy pro-life scientists were left out, he lamented. In addition, the Spanish doctor highlighted that in the Pontifical Academy for Life, there were presidents who knew what DNA was, good obstetrics, and the communication of the infallible aspects of doctrine and the law of nature. The pillar noted that Princeton professor Robert George expressed concern at Matsukuto's appointment. He told CNA Catholic News Agency, the Pontifical Academy for Life exists to advance the Church's mission to foster respect for the profound, inherent, and equal dignity of each and every member of the human family, beginning with the precious child in the womb. Either one believes in this mission, or one does not. If one does not, then why would one wish to be part of the Pontifical Academy? The pillar also noted the CNA report on the Academy's defense of its choice of academicians. Quote, All academicians are chosen from among scientists and experts of absolute importance, as Pope Francis reiterated in his letter Humane Communitas of 2019 to the Pontifical Academy for Life. The Academy goes on to say the nominations of the ordinary members are made by the Pope. Therefore, before being nominated, the names proposed or reported go through a procedure that foresees the consultation of the Apostolic Nuncio and the Episcopal Conference of the countries where the academicians live and work. It also happened in this case, and there were no problems. The Pontifical Academy highlighted a statement signed by the 77-year-old Archbishop Paglia welcoming the new appointments in which he said, It's important that the Pontifical Academy for Life include women and men with expertise in various disciplines and from different backgrounds for a constant and fruitful interdisciplinary, intercultural, and interreligious dialogue. A similar retooling fate occurred in 2017, when Pope Francis, with his motu proprio Summa Familiae Cura, totally reinstituted the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family that was created by John Paul in 1981 to supplement the measures that had resulted from the 1980 Synod on the Family. Francis wrote, with the present motu proprio, I institute the Pontifical Theological Institute John Paul II for Matrimonial and Family Sciences, which, linked to the Pontifical Lateran University, succeeds and substitutes the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family, established by the Apostolic Constitution Manium Matrimoni Sacramentum, which thus comes to an end. End papal quote. A July 2019 Catholic News Agency story reported that more than 150 students and alumni at the Pontifical John Paul Institute in Rome signed a letter saying that newly approved statutes will undermine the Institute's mission and identity. Quote, we want to express our greatest concern, the loss of the formational approach, and therefore of the identity, of the Pontifical Theological Institute John Paul II. The student's letter, written in July, was sent to Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, the Institute's Grand Chancellor, and to Monsignor Pierangelo Sequeri, its President. 
Quote, Many students have expressed their immense concern after the unexpected publication of the new statutes and the new program of studies for our new institute, together with the sad news of the expulsion of two professors whose chairs have a central role in the formation offered by the institute. In addition, a faculty member at the institute expressed concern to CNA, Catholic News Agency, that the new statutes concentrate the hiring of faculty and the development of curriculum in the Chancellor's Office, now occupied by Archbishop Paglia. Tenured professors will no longer be involved in the search for new faculty members and will only be able to stop a new hire with a two-thirds majority vote. This, the professor said, will be practically impossible because of faculty appointments recently made at the Institute. The professor said that when the Pontifical John Paul II Institute was founded, it had been especially important to then-Pope John Paul II that tenured professors consent to new faculty appointments in order to secure the continuity of the Institute's identity. With this new process, the continuity of the identity of the Institute is dead, the professor told CNA. He said the new process for hiring faculty is a break with ordinary academic practices. I don't remember any academic precedent that has ever eliminated chairs and tenures by arguing that the current institute is a totally new organization and that therefore the previous professors with tenure have no rights. This is simply a juridical scam. And the juridical scam is being used against the two experts of morals, Monsignor Livio Melina and Father Jose Noriega. Melina and Noriega did not return to teach at the John Paul II Institute. Technically, because all professors were given new contracts under the new statutes of the Institute, they were not fired. Instead, their contracts were simply not renewed. Criticism of the changes made in both the John Paul II Institute and the Academy has been widespread and vocal and is ongoing, as both bodies continue to work under the changes instituted by Pope Francis. The dilemma for many is the fact that in speeches and homilies and tweets, Pope Francis makes strong pro-life statements and expresses support for pro-life marches, rallies for life, etc. Every life counts, from the beginning to the end, from conception to natural death. This was his tweet before the 2018 March for Life in Washington. And he's also reaffirmed the evil of abortion in both Amoris Laetitia and Laudato Si. So what are we to make of the remarkable dichotomy between the Church's magisterium on protecting and defending all life from conception to natural death, and the appointment of people to church institutes and academies who do not defend and protect that life? What we can do is pray and do our part in upholding the magisterium by knowing, explaining, and defending the Church's unambiguous teaching on life. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.